This is Death by DVD. As we see the sun this morning. We gotta do content on our martial law now? Oh no, I think we're all under curfew. I think we're at seven. I think everybody's at seven. Time zone to be damned, I guess. I don't know. This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my comrade, Hank. Do I get a cool hat? Can I wear a beret? If you'd like to wear a beret. I think I'd look good in a beret. I'm not so sure about that. Shay looked good in a beret. Um, You'll kind of look like Dr. John. That's fine with me. I'm fine with Dr. (laughs) John. That's a lot cooler than I'm looking right now. You know, the one good thing about the President of the United States of America saying that Antifa, which is not an organization, is a terror organization, is I can finally stop feeling bad about loving the Symbionese Liberation Army so goddamn much. Now I just, you know, whatever, if Antifa's terrorism, I totally don't feel bad about the guys that kidnapped Patty Hearst. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't know, like, what are we we under, martial law? We've got to do content under martial law now? Oh, no, I think we're all under curfew. I think we're at seven. I think everybody's at seven. Time zones be damned, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's it doesn't matter if it's farm time or eastern time or mountain time. It, it's it's all the same under uh, Fuhrer Trump's big thumb. I sound like Jello Biafra, but we, we all sound like Jello Biafra, which we should. I think the whole world right now could take a card from guys like him and Abby Hoffman. If Hunter S. Thompson was alive, he would shoot himself. Or other people. I don't know. It's a hard one to call with, with, with Hunter. This is just generally where we're at now. It's just like, ah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm stealing this from some fucking Twitter post I saw, but there's the uh, allusion to the fact of, I never thought I wanted to experience 1918 and 1968 at the same time, but here we are. Isn't it great? Eh, not really. It kind of sucks. And I'll steal this from George Carlin. Nationalism is just absolutely ridiculous in the sense that you are being proud of something that is not your own achievements. And it is uh, just baffling. Pride cometh before the fall. Recognize what your pride is in and have some sense. But we're going to talk about William Shatner now. Believe it or not, this is all the this is a Canadian episode. This is the lead up. Yeah, this is the lead up to our thoroughly Canadian episode because it's all about a guy that was uh, fuck American heroes. Let's talk about Canadian heroes. One of the interesting things though about William Shatner is that if Canada had to go to war against the United States, he would in fact have to kill as many Americans as possible and enjoy every single second of it. In which I fault him none at all. I'm a Canadian. If the U.S. and Canada were ever to war against each other, it would be my duty to kill as many Americans as I possibly could. I'd enjoy it. You don't see the Canadians doing what we're doing. In fact, uh, you really don't see anybody doing this. You can point to some hole in the sand in the Middle East and draw a line of what you think Sharia law is or whatever argument you want to have, but there truly is not another place in the world that is outside of uh, African villages overtaken by warlords every five minutes, a place where human life is valued so little. And in Canada, you know, where William Shatner's what, from... What would really help is the fact that um, when Germany is having solidarity protests with you and kind of against your government, that oh, that's that's not a good look. 
like when the rest of the world's going, hey, you're making a pretty good point there. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna rally behind you as well. And then your own fucking government's just like, nah, fuck that. No, 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 no. Let's just get to act to business as usual. Let's get people shopping again. That's the important thing. We gotta get people shopping. Here's a like, question fuck. for the American public. The Canadians where William Shatner's from. He's from Montreal, Quebec. Uh, by the way, he was born in what 1931, I believe. He's born in 1931. They have a, a form of healthcare that actually takes care of their people, and it's really interesting that with COVID-19 and a, a pandemic and over 100,000 American deaths, that we can't pay for any sort of precautions to help that, but we can all of a sudden completely militarize and arm the goddamn police force to attack and go after civilians. Where did that money come from? Couldn't we have? You gotten- don't understand. They looted the Sparrow in fucking New York City. You can't get green see fucking chain pizza anymore the cheesecake factory is now shut down ladies and gentlemen we are at code red the cheesecake factory has been shut down okay so william shatner we've got to get out of this before it just turns into an entire episode william shatner oc it's not just william shatner it's like uh saying sir why can't i think of any knights uh sir God damn it. Sir Mick Jagger. There we go. He's a knight. It's Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yes. Sir Ian McKellen. There we go. There's a thousand. Sir I, Ben Kingsley. It all just left Sir Lawrence Olivia. He's yeah. got Sir and Kingsley in his name. That dude's like all about the, uh, the fucking monarchy. Doubled up. But it's William Shatner, OC, Order of Canada, which again... Uh, reiterates into the fact that if we went to war with Canada, not only would William Shatner have to kill as many Americans as possible, he more than likely would do it uh, in a suit of armor on a horse with a sword. It's impressive, William Shatner. He's impressive. The entire guy was raised by wolves. Uh, maybe. Shatner Facts, absolutely 100% true facts about William Shatner. Shatner's trained as a classical Shakespearean actor, and his first big acting job was in 1954, performing at the world's famous Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Ontario, as violently masturbating man number three in a Midsummer's Night Dream. It's still William Shatner, uh, one of the most beloved stars from Canada and I think the United States. I think uh, even children now know who he is. I mean, every day personally for me, he's he does. 89 and still as relevant as he ever was. That dude moves. Well, he does local commercials here also for the uh, Mike Slocum Hurt Line. So if you live on the East Coast, you get a great deal of Shatner. He does two or three. He's got one for a uh, sleep apnea mask. He has uh, written, well, written quote-unquote he has what the whole trek series the trek war books which were ghost written he's written several biographies a handful of books about star wars a shit ton of albums i think eight records he's put out a bunch of spoken word stuff and uh, countless films from star trek to actual appearances he's been a host for multiple television shows it's william shatner i mean it he's most well known obviously as james tiberius kirk from star which one? Is it Star Wars? I'm not sure. One of those star thingies. He's a Trek. Yeah, he's star a Trek t- guy. <laughs> star Trek. And outside of that, his career is, you know, we just talking a, a whole bunch of shit about him and all these accolades. His career is really, really spotty and very bizarre, but he definitely seemed to be a friend of exploitation and horror. 
down to the ex- uh, extent that one of the films we're going to talk about tonight, he wanted to be the, 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 the bad guy, and he tried out and really wanted to be the bad guy. In the specific movie, it would have just been fucking batshit to have seen James T. Kirk in this role. One of the other films we're talking about tonight is uh, what led to the eventual Halloween mask being made. So his career, oddly, has a lot of hands in other pockets, and because of William Shatner, a lot of other things have ended up becoming legendary. I mean, the iconic Michael Myers mask would never have happened if it wasn't for the popularity of the Star Trek movie series in the 70s. So it's just really... When you look at him and you start studying William Shatner, his entire existence is fairly entertaining. And I guess that's his point, because he's an entertainer and an artist. But we're going to try and focus on... Three movies that I think uh, are, are celebrated constantly as panned cult films. I think all of them, uh, career-wise, didn't do very well. Well, I will tell you one very interesting thing. As you were talking about uh, Halloween and the William Shatner mask, There, I watched a video on YouTube the other day, and it's you know a few years old at least at this point, and it's Tommy Lee Wallace. Someone sends him an original Shatner mask for him to customize, and he does it. He, like, and he just does it like he did in the in 77 and it's just like holy shit that was just like nothing you do nothing to that mask and it is fucking iconic because it looks exactly like the original mask he just cut the eye holes a little bit bigger spray painted the hair and spray painted the face white ripped off the sideburns perfect it's like goddamn, that's all you've needed to do this entire time for every halloween sequel ever and you just you get like you spend fucking 58 like million dollars trying to do the same mask and hire somebody to sculpt the, the new mask. What's the fucking point? Just buy an old Chatner mask. <laughs> they make them. Are you telling that story? That's my first thought of what was it? Halloween H2O that they spent near a million dollars having to CGI and re-edit in scenes of the mask. Just God, you could have just gotten Tommy Lee Wallace and got one of these things on eBay. 15 bucks with spray paint. Boom. You know, you've got the thing one and done, but it all comes. Well, back they all wanted to, to go for their own look and all this other bullshit. It's just like, just, don't waste your time. You've ruined it every single time. I get aging the mask. I mean, that adds a little bit of spice to it. I mean, a Halloween little bit, too. but they always resculpt it. Just fucking buy a goddamn old '70s mask. You can still get them. I think the original mask ended up under Deborah Hill's bed for quite some time until they went to do the the second film. So what about two, three years? Which I uh, think it even lasted to the fourth film because there's one brief scene where it's like the hair, like the hairs turned white on it, and they used it in one scene. Like, just the back of it until they realize, like, oh, we can't use this anymore. It doesn't even look close. It's dry rotting and shit. Yeah, the infamous rotten white mask. But I guess that can lead us in, talking about the late 70s, we can just kick off and go into our first film, a movie by, I think, one of the most beloved exploitation and drive-in directors, Bud Cardo's, R. Bud Cardo's Kingdom of the Spiders, 1977. He also directed The Dark and Mutant and a bunch of garbage movies i have rarely seen a movie by um john bug carlos that i thought was great they're always he seemed to like step into a lot of them after they were fucked from some other director and he just kind of had a back clean up and they always turned out really bad like the dark is really bad uh i'd say this is his best film though kingdom of the spiders I think it was written by uh, Richard Robinson, the guy that did the screenplay for Piranha. And, of course, you've got William Shatner starring Tiffany Bowling, Will Strode. Screenplay for Piranha? Oh, didn't Richard Robinson write Piranha? No, John Sales wrote Piranha. I thought Richard Robinson was the screenplay guy for that. Mm, story by John Sales. I don't know. He might have done Piranha 
two or the uh, I don't know. Yeah. John Sales wrote Piranha. That's all I fucking know. Yeah, so Richard Robinson is one of the screenplay writers. He wrote some stuff at, at some point in time in his life. Yeah, Tiffany Bowling starring Woody Strode. This one doesn't have a great cast list. This isn't really. We got two other ones with a better cast. Shatner is pretty much what you're fixated on. You got on Shatner, here. and that's all that fucking matters, and that's what makes the movie. With because one of the it's... weirdest character names, Rack. There is a uh, kind of an obsession in the 1970s with killer animal animals around amok, and a lot of them were TV movies because I see this as a part of a larger piece because I'd seen the movie called Ants. Uh, with uh, Robert Foxworth and Bernie Casey, I saw Tarantula, t- uh, de- the Deadly Cargo. Richard Robinson is, uh, wrote the story for Piranha, so Sales wrote the screenplay. There you go. I-, I knew I was onto something, and I was just waiting for this goddamn IMDb page to load. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, uh, Tarantula, the Deadly Cargo. It's got Tom Atkins in it. It's got Claude Aikens in it, and that one's like another kind of fun, interesting TV movie. And Kingdom of the uh, Kingdom of the Spiders, I've always fit into that because it's just another kind of killer tarantula movie. But this one has a bit of a twist. Uh, some of it, the big twist is the fact that Shatner's in it and that dude can like act. But he always, I don't know. I don't want to make fun of Shatner as an actor because a lot of people do. Like he he's kind of stilted in a way and the way he does dialogue. But when he's getting attacked by tarantulas, he just does this really odd kind of robot performance but it also looks like he's in real terror and he's not like trying to look cool he just kind of looks like a big pussy in kingdom of the spiders like he's actually terrified so uh, i I can go with that i mean he's the definitely best thing about this movie it didn't have shatter i don't think it'd be remembered it would be remembered for its ending and that's the only memorable thing about kingdom of the spiders which is bizarre that apparently there was supposed to be a Kingdom of the Spiders 2 that was going to be directed by Shatner, but if you know the ending of this movie, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. But what we're dealing with here is a town that is overrun by normally, in real life, completely harmless tarantulas, but if enough of them bite something, it will kill them. And this entire town is overrun by spiders, and they're not like specifically smart or mutant spiders or have you know some vendetta they're just invasive spiders and it's kind they of can poison the fuck out of you yeah if enough bite you though one bites you you're all right but if nine get to you then you're kind of fucked and it's you know unlike arachnophobia where there's some terror behind it and of course they use kind of uncommon creatures they use tarantulas for this and apparently taking care of tarantulas is incredibly difficult and they cannibalize each other so none of them could be kept like within each other and it was some ridiculous amount of money like fifty thousand dollars was spent on these tarantulas none of them could be harmed they all had to be kept separately they all had to have their own warming tanks but i guess tarantulas are, are very nervous and they don't like being around or, you know they frighten easily i think any small creature or bug frightens pretty easily so most of the scenes of absolute terror when they're attacking or you know leaf blowers pushing them across the set nothing looks particularly scary and it's one of those situations where you start thinking back to oh well that makes sense why they did giant spider monsters or giant whatever because then all of a sudden something that normally would be ridiculous uh, it's giant though you know if a fucking cat or how uh, if a spider was the size of a fucking cat it would be pretty terrifying yeah and like especially so if it gets into your house so them being just regular tarantulas isn't particularly terrifying the one thing that is terrifying is there is a certain level of animal abuse in this film because oh, yeah. Shatner and a lot of the other actors do not treat the tarantulas with kick gloves. There is like they're 
kind of beating the fuck out of them. You don't see like too much hardcore violence, but they're like whacking the fuck out of them with their hands and shit. You don't see them crush. You don't see them get all gooey or anything, but it's all fairly close to that. I mean, if you're an animal lover, you can't get into spiders dying, then that's going to be a problem for you in this movie. And it's pretty obvious throughout the entirety that there's, uh, outside of Shatner, everyone's kind of just working for their paycheck here. But I guess that's kind of what gives it a lot of its charm, is uh, touching upon what you had brought up a little while ago. Shatner does kind of really put forth some some ammunition into this movie. Toward the beginning, it's a, a really nice introduction. He's out medicating and roping some bulls with his, uh, I guess, widowed sister-in-law i'm assuming the brother's dead and they're kind of having fun and getting really jocular and enjoying their time and she accidentally slips and calls him by his brother's name and he just freaks but it's a great reaction from shatner i mean it's not just some stage approach to things and again like you had brought up kind of making fun of the guy and you uh, mostly a lot of people uh, i think at this point no impersonations of William Shatner and maybe characters of William Shatner and jokes of Shatner and not so much his his actual performances, which are pretty earnest. And I think he puts a liberal amount of emotion to it. And, you know, he's playing a country veterinarian. He is a cowboy and Shatner rides horses. He does a lot of his own work here. And just to show how low budget is, I mean, Shatner does pretty much all of his own stunts. There's an airplane explosion and it's not somebody else. It's fucking Shatner pretty much in, in the danger zone with that. He's chugging Miller High Life the entire movie. So you've got a, a believable, relatable and kind of nice character that you can get behind. And it's weird because this movie builds a lot of hope and you get the almost like Slither, the standard uh, obvious drive-in movie, you know, the hero and the girl is going to save the day, and the ending's just, like, it's not even nihilistic, it's just dismal, it's just like, wow, okay, what a throat punch, but again, that really, this is, you know, the first part of a, a, a great drive-in double feature, you get something like this rolling, it gets everyone agitated, and the ending's historic, I think the ending is one of the things that really binds Kingdom of the Spiders, and has pivoted it to, you know, where it is in history, and I think it's a, an acknowledged movie. I mean, I'm, it's not going to get the highest rating in the world, but I kind of love it. Yeah, like, for me, this one, the Texas vibe of it, you know, the desert um, locations, the fact that a lot of really weird random stuff happens, like the uh, the plane crash, that just, it only seems to kill one guy, even though it's kind of pretty crazy and deadly. They fly into weird. a gas station, which blows up, but only one person's hurt. And again, this is a scene where you know some spiders definitely got injured um but by far like when they get trapped in the uh what is it a diner or a hotel they get trapped in at the end yeah like a weird like western diner thing we have another yeah. appearance from one of those in one of the other films that's i mean that's a pretty decent like exciting 15 20 minutes of film and but it just doesn't ever really seem to go anywhere and then you get kind of the shocker ending and that is the best part about this film because spoilers because that's what we do on this show it's just the people who are left in the town, they look out the windows and the entire town has been cocooned by a matte painting. Um, so, and then it's interesting looking. I mean, it's just like, Oh, what a bleak fucking ending for this movie. Okay. They're all going to die. All right. Well, that's cool. I remember my brother, um, we were watching this one night on late night cable and I fell asleep during it. My brother told me about the ending. Oh, the, the entire town had been encased in a web and I'm like, holy shit, that sounds impressive. I'm like 10 years old. And I didn't see it for years. It was never on TV. And I eventually watched it. I was like, oh, this one has the really great ending. 
and then you see it and it's just one kind of really chintzy fucking matte painting that's not great but i don't know if you're into matte paintings i guess it's all right but overall king of the spiders it's worth a watch i think on youtube right now it's available and it's available with a commander usa groovy movie segment to where it's um basically you have a, a you know a a uh, horror show host type character hosting the uh, the film for you, and if you don't know who Captain uh, Commander USA is, he was on the USA Network in the '80s during uh, like Saturday afternoon showing weird movies. That's the first time I saw Motel Hell was on Commander USA in on a Saturday afternoon. Bizarre, but yeah, check that one out because it's a hoot and a fucking holler. Yeah! I think some of the best movies that we have featured and done on the show you found on late night horror hosts and and things like commander usa's over time and it's been sort of fun i've had a few of them I, the, the cool thing about when i grew up was when basic cable was really starting to come into fruition and i didn't just have the local horror host or the local show i had several different ones like uh there was commander usa there was misty brew there was um a really weird one called uh uncle god what was his name uncle brick I can't remember. That's this has been one. like 38 years since I've thought of this, but uh, he hosts like a child, like a children's show, and I think like a movie show in the afternoons. Uncle Brickyard? I can't remember his name. Remember but when whatever. Joe Bob was so not known anymore that we did a show about him, and he actually emailed us saying we didn't completely suck? We've been around <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking like great review well you don't entirely suck and that's Thanks pretty much sentence. verbatim i have the email saved somewhere it's going on 11 years old it's something we did years ago but that still takes pride we don't completely suck thanks joe bob briggs i don't know if that's joe bob briggs or john bloom speaking but regardless my head is off to you one of the things about the ending of kingdom of spiders um kingdom of the spiders that i think really works is the last 11 minutes or so are, are pretty you don't think the ending's coming up at all. That they're, they're, Shatner gets attacked down in the basement, and he gives one hell of a performance crawling up the stairs, injuring a lot of spiders, and walks into the room and yells for help, and they've got this big, giant bite on his face, and things uh, transition to the next day, and it's like, well, I'm going to check outside, make sure everything's okay, and you think you're going to go like, all right, we got a fourth act coming up. We're going into the, the saving grace of the movie, and then they pull the curtain back and wham, that's the end. So it's kind of a trick, I think, that they, they open that closet door and they give you a little bit more hope. And that's sort of the fun with uh, you know Bud Cardos and some of the fun with most of his movies is they all seem to—I wouldn't— not trying to like get deep with it. I don't think it's a pro-animal statement, but I think that there's a lot of— fun to be found within uh, the subtext of his movies kind of uh, uh, poking fun at just humans being more concerned about the wrong things and the wrong aspects of things. I don't think he's incredibly deep, but it just seems to be a, a reoccurring theme throughout his work of people being fucked over by nature. And what, again, you know, I complained about it, but at the same time, what kind of makes this movie uh, almost innocent in its nature is that it is just tarantulas. It's not giant tarantulas. They're not mutants. They're not possessed. You know, they're not demon tarantulas. They're just fucking bugs. And it works. It works on that level, but it definitely is not, you know, a, a very serious film. It, it. I don't think any part of this is serious. I will, though, because of Shatner, because of Cardo's, just because of its its drive-in status. It's definitely a three-star movie. Uh, cult points. Four cult points. I mean, three and four. I don't think it's. I think it's a bit of high rating for something like this. But hey. 
Shatner. Shatner facts. Absolutely 100% true facts about William Shatner. Shatner's film debut was in the Canadian Butler's Night Off, 1951. His first feature role came in the MGM film The Brothers Karamazov, 1958, with Yul Brynner, in which he starred as the youngest of the Karamazov brothers, Alexei. In December 1958, Shatner was attacked by a werewolf, only deflecting it by stabbing it in the eye with a silver star of David that had been tucked carefully into his pocket. Yeah, uh, he's the saving grace of the film. And other than that, out of the spider films, I would probably go with Giant Spider Invasion, my my personal take, because that one is a complete, total piece of shit, and it's really goofball fun. Oh, man. Um, and really terrible special effects. So that's a real Saturday morning, like, fun fest. Kingdom of the Spiders, is, it's kind of mid-range. It's not really terrible enough to be really fun, but it's just good enough to be watchable so that's about all i can say and shatner's great in it because he's shatner he might as well be any fucking character who's ever played talking about favorite giant spider movies i think mine is probably one of the most morose and worst of all time but i am a sucker for uh the horrors of spider island such a uh, bad movie not a fan not a fan at all, personally. <laughs> Somebody just put that out, too. Somebody just put a big, fancy Blu-ray of that out. It very well may be Severin, but I have relied on years of, and I think everybody that has a mild horror collection has to have a bunch of those. Uh, something Creek, maybe Morgan Creek sense that is just 50, 60 movies. Uh, just all of, half of them have Night of the Living Dead on it. Oh, but, it's not Morgan Creek. It's um, it's something else. I know what you're talking about. Morgan Creek's the company that put out Nightbreed oh, yeah, back in the uh, definitely 90s. Definitely not them. Yeah, it's something like Stony Creek, something Ridge, yeah. and it's got some really awful clip art that plays before it, and then you go to the, the screen with nine films on it. You find them at gas stations every Halloween and Target and places like that. I have procured so much stuff that is now thirty nine ninety nine uh, from Severin and Dark Force Entertainment, and it's just kind of hysterical at, at some points. like Death Rage with Yul Brynner. There is a 2K restoration from Dark Force Entertainment. I have like 12 copies of it. <laughs> I, I'm not paying it for any more. I'm sorry. I, I don't. It, late... I probably know shit. Have about seven copies of Night of the Living Dead and two copies of Hands of Steel. So I'm working at a, a net advantage there. I definitely know at this point in my life I have to have at least ten copies of Night of the Living Dead, but it comes with the territory. And I guess with that we are done. We can bury Kingdom of the Spiders, 1977. I don't know. Let's move on to a fun one. 1975 will stay in the same era by Robert Fuse, The Devil's Reign. Uh, this movie has been called the ultimate cult film, and I guess... The ultimate melt movie. Uh, yeah, well, I, I really like Body Melt, that Australian picture. That one's pretty gross. That's a fun movie. Yeah, but it only has so much body melting, and uh, Devil's Reign has nothing but... There's like 20 solid minutes at the end of nothing but melting. I will say it's Hundreds even of... got more melting than The Incredible Melting Man. But like Frank Costanza, I've got some problems with you people. I don't think The Devil's Reign <laughs> is the perfect fucking cult film. It's It's... It's just so incomplete, no matter how much I want to love this movie, and I do. I, I get off on it. I love watching it. It's hysterical. What the fuck is it about? 
Just t somebody tell me what it's about, goddammit. I just want to know if there's a story that I missed or there's, I don't know. Well, like, the, the plot is nonsense in Devil's Reign. It's, uh, I think why people like the Devil's Reign so much is, A, the melting, and B, Borgnine. Borgnine is fucking amazing in it, and so is Shatner. It's uh, so much of the performances and just kind of the vibe of the movie. Eddie Albert, too. the story too. itself is just, it's murky at best. Because what even is the Devil's Reign? It's some kind of glass container where he, he puts souls and if you break that, then you break the spell, and then everybody melts in the rain. It's, huh? Well, I was watching it last night, and I, I was trying to come up with that, because I was asking myself the exact same question. And all I could come up with, logically, is just knowing a little bit about Levian Satanism and, and some more esoteric and occult-based stuff. Perhaps the Devil's Reign was, like, the embodiment of all the damned souls and all the people that had gotten fucked over, like... Shatner's father's or great great grandfather or whatever it was character and all these people that had been kind of tricked into signing the book by Corbus. So by breaking it, it would release you know all the power back into the world. I don't know. Like again, having to overreach and come up with this much stuff for a movie called The Devil's Reign is is a bit much. But at the same time, you're given so many cool visuals and so many great ideas. You've got Ernest Borgnine playing. I guess he's not immortal, but he's some sort of servant of Satan that has been around for ages. And and ages and ages that has this book that you know it's the why does he book. say so youthful hank how does he say it's not the devil it's the devil's business though i think all of the hate and uh fueled power of satan comes right out of his eyebrows this is the bushiest of <laughs> no it's not it's, it's because he masturbates constantly yeah there's no more room for hair on his hands or feet it comes straight out of his eyebrows ernest borgnine true fact secret to living longevity masturbate constantly never stop morning day noon and night jerk it put a finger in there do whatever you need to it's <laughs> it's how you do it oh, look up the clip fucks <laughs> oh i'll play it you know i'll back it up i'll have some facts here um with permission of whatever show it was on because i'll definitely email them and make sure the legality is all taken yes, out of the because way because the youtube Somebody's clip, well, which we'll rip it from is going to uh, i'm sure they got their permission as well talk to you in the after the show show but real quickly you're 91 years old you look fantastic you look like you're, you're in nice. your late 60s <laughs> early 70s what's the secret i don't dare tell you <laughs> no meat you don't eat meat i masturbate a lot okay i think <laughs> uh, thank you ernie that was great i actually heard that have, ernie have you ever been on youtube I don't dare tell you. <laughs> no meat. You don't eat dollar. meat. I masturbate a lot. Okay, I think. <laughs> I masturbate a lot. I masturbate a lot. I masturbate. I masturbate. I masturbate a lot. 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 Yeah, definitely, absolutely. So, uh, outside of possible crimes, The Devil's Reign. It's such a weird cast. You've got Shatner, of course, Ida Lupino, Eddie fucking Albert, Ernest Borgnine, Tom Skerritt, and in his very first appearance, hardly, uh, Vinnie Barberino sort of. himself. I was going to do oh. an impersonation, but I stopped myself because I know how bad Thank it is. Thank God. You've learned a lesson today. Hey, oh, hey, 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 uh, there you go. what's going on? It's, it's me. Welcome back. Connor. What's up? I like Dianetics. Hey, what's going on? That's, yeah. Thank you, Dana Carvey. Um, but, like, yeah. 
So I would say with The Devil's Reign, like the beginning of the film is very intriguing. And the fact that you've got Shatner working this again as a cowboy, a farm, and he's learning that his father shows up at his house and he's melting. So he has to go to the town to find out what happened to him. This this church. Well, and then was he... the father missing? I mean, they make this illusion that it's not your Paul, and he, he says, you know, he's wearing his clothes, it was his face. So had he been missing beforehand? I mean, because the movie starts very abruptly. I think he was like, maybe the family, one of the members of the family went to this church-type scenario and like a cult scenario, and he was trying to get them, and he comes back, and he's just a melty Joe. And then Shatner goes, well, I've got to go find out what happened and go find my mother. That's, that's what they were doing to begin with, was looking for her. And he goes and he like confronts Borgnine. I was like, hey, where is everybody that I know and love? And then Borgnine says, uh, guess what? That sweet 70s medallion you're rocking, it's actually a snake. And then he gets the power over fucking Shatner. And then Shatner's gone from the movie for goddamn 45 minutes. It's a sweet opening 40 minutes, but then we just kind of like, we fucking give up the ghost and go into this separate Tom Skerritt's the brother subplot with Eddie Albert. It's like, what? Why are we going this direction? I mean, all of this just to, I guess, make a clear picture of what type of production and how hectic this was. All of this subplot and this bullshit ends up happening because Shatner had to attend a fucking Star Trek convention and it took three days. So he, I mean, three days on a set, 24 hours is a lot. You can get a lot done. I mean, half a movie could be done. And I believe um, Robert Fust was given eight days to do this and ended up getting it done in 14 days. So three of those without Shatner obviously made a, a great dent and what the final product was. And when you read about this movie, what really sucks is, like, LeVay was a production assistant. Anton LeVay, the creator of LeVay and Satanism, the modern Satanism, head of the Satanic Church. Uh, you can Google him. We don't need a history lesson on Anton LeVay. But, you know, and I... Uh, this will piss people off just as much as saying Halloween isn't that great on the last episode. Uh, so I'll dance around it nicely. Anton LeVay was kind of tacky, and he was the right <laughs> kind of tacky. <laughs> He's tacky, like a bad Christmas sweater. Well, I mean, he wore he his idea of uh, Satanism was just these ridiculous uh, woodcut ideas. You know, uh, very Bosch paintings is what he wanted to bring to life, and uh, exuberant robes and lots of reds and and symbolism and and all you know snakes and uh, you know uh, a goddamn Dio video pretty much is. Levian Satanism, and it it's just a little tacky. All the red, all the flamboyancy to it. But what pays off is is you would really assume and think that you'd be able to take all of that and translate it onto film, and it'd be absolutely amazing. You know, you and and this cast is just insane, and it doesn't pay you do off. Have, like, does does Scarrett have a mustache or no mustache? It's I, I'm having a hard time recalling. It's funny you bring this up because I was wondering while watching it if if this was a point in his life that he realized he could not shave the mustache because it's it's thick. I mean, it's it's Jeff Skunk Baxter thick. Okay, he does have the mustache in this one. And it's a big broom. I mean, it's got to be some sort of trademark that you know at some point that man would lay in bed at night and just hate his life because he couldn't get rid of that fucking thing. 
it happens. Uh, but the Skerritt plot, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, you get a picture shown that allows you to understand Skerritt is a family member. And they jump into him, and it turns into this weird psychic boogaloo <laughs> with his wife and Eddie Albert. And it goes, I mean, and it's some of it. I mean, one thing I'll you give you. You know what the, the picture I thought you were referring to was? All the Hieronymus Bosch at the beginning of the film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was oh, like, wait, what's no, Scarrett? <laughs> I didn't know he was there. No, yeah, there's a, it's on the, right when they break, right when the devil's people are, are Corvus's people break in and they tie the old man upside down and steal the mother, they show that broken picture frame of the I entire gotcha. family, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just goes, it's like this weird psychic boogaloo subplot and, ha you know, okay, we were going into like, one of the, and this is another thought I had, this movie, if it was handled by somebody like Lucio Fulci, it could have been absolutely astounding. And you've got all of these really cool ideas, like, okay, the wife's a psychic, and he's going after the brother. And one thing I'll give The Devil's Reign is it's shot very beautifully, and you're using, uh, you know, the desert. I think it was shot in Mexico, so just very stark landscapes. You've got to be really particular about your lighting and your shadows. And there are just some really unique sequences, like when Shatner first encounters Corbus, uh, he walks around this kind of saloon door and swings out, and you get this really nice view of all of Ernest Borgnine, and he was a big fella, but you have the skyline and this very decrepit, broken downtown, and you, you get, you know, a cre literally just a nice, like, William Castle creepy kind of vibe to it. You have an allowance to feel a little spooked out that we don't know what's going to happen to him, and then completely the Shatner character is liquidated and gone, and we go into overdrive with Eddie Albert and Tom Skerritt and the girlfriend character. And it, it just after that, it becomes so muddled. He goes back to the same places that his brother was at. Uh, he's attacked by one of the melt-faced people. And as it tries to progress and allow you to have fear, you just have more questions. And unfortunately, the questions are... In this case, it's not like, who the fuck's Leatherface? I want to know more. It's more like, what's this? What? what what's, what's happening? What's story? <laughs> what is yeah. this? They're melting, but why? What? All right. I yeah, mean... because we never explain the melting issue. And, like, they never really explain, unless I'm just remembering things completely wrong, that all the, like, the the members of the cult, they, like, they're missing their eyes for some reason. And they have that kind we of really poorly done um eyeless makeup that you had like you had to do before cgi came along so where it's just like you had to build up a bunch of stuff and you see shatner in his eyeless makeup and it's just like oh yeah that's definitely michael myers it looks a lot like him you know, this is uh where the mask and molds were made i don't remember the company uh because i'm an idiot that's what we should do on this show completely forget the facts that's my job and i do it very well every week it's your that's your job, buddy. Yeah, well, that's My job I, yeah. is to vaguely remember things from 30 years ago and go, I think this is right. Well, somebody at some point in time that worked for a company ended up doing the molds for uh, <laughs> the, 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 the work for Shatner's face in this situation. And I'm pretty were... sure it was Tom Post uh, was the company that put out the mask. That's what I thought it was that put out the mask, but it was a bigger known effects company that did whatever did the devil's reign and it's just fucking i'm uh what is his last name that i can't remember i know it's, it's, uh, not... it's on the tip of my tongue and my brain's a fart it, I... it's not carl fullerton it's the other guy that i keep wanting to think his name's o'bannon but it's not o'bannon and i'm pretty sure he did buckaroo bonsai as well ah uh, what is his name Son of a bitch. But anyway, Hank's going to look up some information while I continue to talk about The Devil's Reign. The things that do work tremendously in this film is it is shot well at times. Um, Borgnine's performance is fucking off the fucking chain. He is, like, really hamming it up, and it's fucking brilliant. 
Um, also, when he eventually like forms oh, into fuck. his, it, it is. It's Don Post. It was goddamn Don Post Studios. They created the life mask of Shatner for the movie, and it was the masks were created as a Star Trek spinoff. So they had nothing to do with the Devil's Reign or Halloween, but it was Don Post. I questioned you. That is some convoluted information we just threw out there. So uh, convoluted. Six degrees of William Shatner. Fuck Kevin Bacon. Everything goes back to the Shatman. Always does. Shatner facts. Absolutely 100% true facts about William Shatner. In 1965, Shatner guest starred in 12 O'Clock High's Major Kurt Brown in the segment, I Am the Enemy. 12 days later, he had the best Monte Cristo sandwich that he ever has had in his entire life. But like I was saying, um, Borgnine is the devil. The makeup, his like goat man makeup is pretty cool. It's pretty iconic at this point. And then you have the ultimate scene of everybody melting into like multicolored goo, uh, which I'm down for. I'm down for multicolored goo at any point in any movie. Um, I'm a big street trash fan, for God's sakes. One of the best movies ever made. I agree. Um, but like the Devil's Reign overall, for those cool things, like the the Devil's Reign effect, the glass jar has the souls. That's even cool. It kind of looks like a weird little like satanic television but when we get through all of this at the end i'm feeling like empty i'm feeling like i just had a one night stand i like worked so hard that whole night trying to like hook up i hooked up and now i just kind of went eh why did i try so hard that was just a waste of fucking like two and a half hours and that's how i feel about devil's ring and one of the things that really kind of makes you disappointed is the director, Robert Fust, also did Dr. Five's Rises Again. So you can see from some of his other work that he definitely can put together quite a psychedelic did he do ride. the original Abominable uh, 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 Dr. Fives? I don't think he did. I think he just did um, Fives Rises Again. Check it. Let's check it out. Uh, the Jeopardy theme is going to play throughout this episode so much. I'm pretty sure I'm right. I think one of the biggest problems is just the coherency, and there's obviously a lack of just just production here, and a lot of it obviously comes down to the Shatman not being able to be there. He was probably cruising for pussy in a Captain Kirk uniform. It is director Robert Fust. Oh, yes. So I mean, but that proves my point oh, even I feel so further. good about myself. Well, that's twice. You've, you've gotten two facts on this episode that I had gotten wrong. But I think that proves my point even further that this guy is, is clearly capable of some amazing visuals. Especially, I mean, I don't know which vibes you like more, but I, I tend to lean toward the second one being a bit more psychotronic and just fucking insane. But both films. I like the first one. I'm the first one. I'd like, in you know, my perfect world, them to be one thing. You know, you run them completely together. And we've discussed this before, but... If we, if you give us funding money while he's still alive, I, Alexander Nash, and I will write you the greatest remake of Doctor Fives starring Jeremy Irons. That is correct. We, I don't we, know why that's my life's dream, but it is. It, the, the moment you told it to me, it was like, God damn, no, I want to see this. This is great. That's what a great idea. It it really would work. And Jeremy Irons, it, he deserves his own special Death by DVD show just to talk about how amazing that man is. Guess what the name of that episode would be. Jeremy's Iron. Ooh, I like that. That's as good as Sides of Iron, which might... That's a bad Simpsons joke, but we're moving on from that. 
So all in all, I think the Devil's Reign definitely has its place in cult history and drive-in history. But for me, it's one of those low ratings. It's got to have a two and a half stars no matter how amazing everyone is. Borgnine's what drives it. Shatner hardly appears. Uh, kudos on Skerritt. Like, he definitely had something going on. And he's one of those guys that I don't know if it was the mustache. I don't know if he looked too much like a cowboy or as rumors go, drank too much, but you go into the 80s and you really lose track of Tom Skerritt, and it's a shame. Stuff like this, and albeit a short performance, the little bit you see him as Captain Dallas and Alien, he had some, like, mojo. He had some real... Poltergeist 3? Uh, maybe? He definitely <laughs> shows know. some concern and at least acts. You know, he's not just shit-hammered. My old lady's a big fan of that film, so I have to throw I that I like out Poltergeist, there. She loves 3. Poltergeist 3. I, the only thing that I hate is knowing, you know, that Carol Ann's dying the entire time. Heather O'Rourke is dying the entire time. So it's a bit of a dapper, but, you know, it's like watching The Deer Hunter. John Cazale was dying, too. We all suffer for art. Uh, unless you're nine years old, no one pays attention to you, and your colon explodes. Wow, way to go super fucking dark. I was trying to be so uplifting. All right, well, let's just go on to the next film. What is it, Hank? Death? Everyone dies soon? It's, it's so much better. It's the greatest misogynistic film of all time that I commonly confuse Richard Lynch starring in, 1982's Visiting Hours by Jean-Claude Lord. I think this was his first English film, too. His first English uh, language film, rather. French Canadian. That's French Canadian. I'm sorry, and he's from Quebecois. Yeah, where this movie was filmed in one of the craziest VA hospitals I've ever seen. I think it's just called like County General in the movie, but this is something that came out around the same time. I think a couple months after Halloween two, and to me, uh, man, we I pissed off Halloween fans last week, and I'm just gonna do it uh, right all over again. I think it's fucking better than Halloween 2. It's a scarier... I, I don't. I, I gotta disagree with you on that. I think Halloween 2 is more interesting overall. Well, you gotta... Okay, more interesting because you're continuing the story and you've got a little bit more of an arc with Michael Myers, but... Violence is my thing in Halloween 2. It's got more violence than uh, Visiting Hours. Visiting Hours is very... It's got some violence in it, but it's a lot of psychological violence, and it's okay, but it just... I, for my money... I like a little bit more exploitive violence and not just, like, fucking with the mind I'm violence. more interested in the idea of Colt Hawker than I am Michael Myers. So by the end of Halloween 2, when Michael gets his comeuppance and the whole shithouse goes up in flames, I don't really care and nothing's really affected me. It's been more or less, um, you know, a, a, a nice but kind of bland ballet of violence as to where... Uh, what, what you dislike about Visiting Hours, I think, is what I like more about it, is you kind of... Get behind the psyche. It's a psychological thriller as opposed to like a like a kitschy horror. But film. again, just like The Devil's Reign, I've got problems with you people because there's just so much of this movie that didn't end up on screen that would have been, I mean, for me as the the viewer. And you know, hey, we're critics, so I guess this is what matters. I just wanted a little bit more of Colt Honker. That at the beginning of the film, you get a, a lot of exploration into his character that just is dwindled down right after one great scene of violence. But before we give any of that away, this movie is about a misogynistic man who, literally, that's pretty much the, the pretense here. This guy absolutely hates women. He hates women in power. He hates any opinion that varies against his white cis male ideology. And he begins to track down—he's, just to, I guess, 
clarify, is a rapist and probably, I, I don't know if he's a serial killer or a spree killer. He's got some mama's issues. Well, I don't know the definition at this point. If he's a spree killer or a serial killer or he's just going after, I mean, I guess it would be a serial killer in, in this idea, but he's a rapist, misogynist, and he targets a very well-known uh, critic, television personality, uh, a female in power, and he the point of the movie is the same as Halloween, Halloween 2. It is a stalker scenario, but you're given a character played by the wonderful Michael Ironside, a man whose entire life has been led in absolute turmoil because he has been hunted down by the Canadian Broadcasting Network uh, every single day. <laughs> We're still going with the facts. Sides of Iron will never leave my mind. We'll we'll do that. We'll we'll explain. They killed his family and scarred his face forever. Okay, he was folks. a simple carpenter. He was bad. just like Jesus Christ, trying to live in harmony and building some roofs. And the God, the Canadian, it's. It's too. I I gotta I gotta talk about the movie. It's just too much. But the um the wonderful Michael fucking Ironside plays just one of the most insane characters that you're you're given biggest bags of shit in screen history. Well, I'd you say get at the beginning of the movie, this really great, uh, and it's not the equivalent to the iconic Michael Myers mask, but he has a get up. He he wears all this jewelry that he presumably has taken from his victims, and you know it's all costume jewelry, and he's wearing it like. Uh, what was that goddamn uh, 300 movie? Mr. T? Well, he looks like the deity character from 300 and Mr. T, but that, you know, is his kind of, it's like Red Dragon, the uh, the original one, not the Anthony Hopkins, where uh, he, he wears the stocking over his face and he's got the full body, I mean, which I guess it's re replicated in the second film. I just don't think it's as good. You've got this really uh, fantastical, horrific idea and embodiment of this, monster and it's just quickly abandoned and left aside and one of the really interesting points of this is what i uh, made notion to at the beginning of the movie shatner tried out for the colt hawker role he wanted to play him and he was on standby until they said we have one last guy we want to try out and uh it turned out to be ironside well i'll tell you this much about visiting hours probably the most important things and the best things about visiting hours is the uh, one-sheet poster and uh, Shatner eating pudding. Oh, my God. Shatner eats that pudding like a fucking bait I don't rapist. think it's I don't connected. know what he's doing in this movie. Everything's okay. I, I, I love that scene. With his coy smile and his, like, look out of the corner of his eye, like, oh, you better watch out later tonight, sister. And to fill you in on the sequence, Lee Grant, who is the character that Colt Hawker is going after, has been injured in an attack by him and is in the hospital. And at some point, he managed to sneak in and, presuming it was her, rip the or cut the life support of the person in the room next to her so uh this person dies and shatner shows up with a cup of fucking pudding i mean he's ready with a snack pack and is just slurping it like it's all okay don't uh, god I, your pudding's great but don't worry about it the ratings by the way well, you're actually nailing something on the like the head here with this because with this movie it is i mean we'll get more into this movie in a future episode we're probably a couple years from talking about this one again but anyway it's on the uh bbfc's video nasty list and a lot of it is it is so misogynistic because lee grant is kind of a feminist style uh television personality character and michael ironside doesn't like that and he wants to put this woman in her place so he kind of develops this psychotic fucking fixation on her that he wants to kill her and shame her and all this other stuff so it is like really picking apart misogynistic uh attitude towards especially uh, female television personalities things like that and just kind of women's issues in general 
And the reason it got so banned and the reason it's thought of as being this like video nasty is that's one of the big scenes is he cuts off somebody's life support and just sits there and watches them die. And people found it incredibly graphic. There's something I thought sort of remarkable about that scene because it comes back again later where he encounters a male and he doesn't initially go to kill this male because it's a man, but they wake up and he ends up killing them, which kind of jarred me upon rewatching this and made me feel that when he realized it was the wrong person, he didn't kill them or just stab them to death. He sat down and, and kind of relished in them dying and found beauty in it because it was a woman. And it, it again just pinpoints the, the feeling that you're supposed to have with the level of misogyny in this movie. But I took, a, a I guess, an interesting point I'll try and make on this film. I think every representation of, of men, of mankind, is in the worst light possible, which... Uh, truthfully is is pretty apt because let's look at colt hawker he uh, getting deep into the character you're shown in sequences from the film that he clearly was abused by his father he was probably sexually abused by his father his life was very unstable he's an incredible misogynist but every single time that lee grant's character tries to get help tries to tell her side of the story tries to talk she's consistently cut off by shatner that shatner is the other end of the spectrum he's not physically abusive he's not a rapist he's not beating women but he has he's emotionally vacant towards women <laughs> that's his big and it's flaw. because of the white cis male overinfloated ego the ratings were great you did so good you're my little puppet on a string you're my pretty little puppet that he looks at her like an object you know janky treehorn treats objects like women that sort of thing to make a weird Big Lebowski joke. But there's a neat transition between watching the absolute horrific nature of Colt Hawker, Michael Ironside's character, and then looking at how uh, not helpful and how useless Shatner is. He doesn't do anything whatsoever, but his entire point is, well, I'll protect you. Everything's going to be okay. As long as your ratings are okay, though, right? He doesn't care about her identity or her message or her being a strong, independent woman. What he cares about is the money and value behind it. So it's just, you know, it's capitalism to an extent, but it's truly the patriarchy using ideologies like feminism to benefit themselves. And I think, I think that kind of is an overall statement for the entirety of this movie that all the male leads are pretty much misogynist one way or another. I also find it kind of odd, though, because it does go for this message of women's empowerment and meditations on patriarchy and things like that. But they chose to take the character of Lee Grant and kind of immobilize her and make her kind of like no longer a strong character. I mean, she's still kind of mentally strong throughout the, the rest of the film, but she becomes this like bedridden, like damsel in distress and it's not so much that she needs a, a man to save her or anything but they kind of went for that halloween 2 vibe of like jamie lee curtis is being like powerless in this one it's like well that's kind of antithesis to what the character is supposed to be the character is supposed to be strong regardless because even if you get into something like halloween 2 it's not like she grows some like some big balls at the end she crawls around the entire last like quarter to half of Halloween 2, ends up in the basement and ends up with a gun. She doesn't do much fighting. She's mostly just like limping and crawling away. And they kind of do the same thing to Lee Grant as opposed to like, no, have her fight through some of this trauma that she's experienced. It, like have her like mentally, you kind of made her a, 
kind of a hysterical woman again. And that's not what your story seems to be want to be about, but that's what you ended up doing. And two, it kind of, I guess, goes back to my point with Shatner's there at the end with, you know, the protective holding arms. I'm a man. I'm here for you. So there's a bit too much testosterone here, but not enough resolution for it because you've got this ridiculous, awful, evil uh, woman-hating bastard played by Michael Ironside. And yeah, he gets his comeuppance, but unfortunately, from what you've been shown uh, through flashback sequences, you almost feel bad for him at the end of the movie. So there isn't really, I wouldn't say pro-feminist, but there's not really a, a strong statement here toward women at all. I mean, he gets his just desserts, but I still kind of feel bad for him. And it's like the picture of my friend Dahmer. One of my problems I really have with that is the entire point of this movie is you making me feel bad for him, but at the end of it, wait... He's still a predator. I know, the motherfucker drilled holes in people's head and poured bleach in them to turn it into a sex zombie. I don't feel bad for him. Don't try and give me sympathy for it. When you show me that this person viciously is a rapist and killer of women, and then you try and, you know, placate my emotions with he was molested and his father beat him. And his mother ended up killing his father, and that's why he hates women. And it's this big fucking Sigmund Freud thing. Well, hand it to David Cronenberg if you wanted to get something that in-depth psychologically and not cover the details for it. It just doesn't it, it doesn't do anything for you. You don't feel good or bad for anyone. You just feel kind of, uh, you feel abused as Lee Grant pretty much was the entire time. Which, uh, you know, you're looking at cult films, exploitation films, a good point is to feel dirty and abused like uh you know day of the woman i spit on your grave that is sort of a draw for a lot of this so i could have just made this much more watchable for some people i don't know shatner facts absolutely 100 percent true facts about william shatner Shatner co-starred in the movie Miss Congeniality 2000 as Stan Fields, playing the role of co-host of the Miss United States pageant alongside with future Boston Legal co-star Candace Bergen. Bergen is a well-known wizard who has survived millions of years after learning how to live totally on sunlight. Yeah, I mean, it, it does have different ideas t that it's working with. It just doesn't successfully connect all those ideas. And that has a lot to do with the time period it was created in, because a lot of people weren't ready to confront ideas like this. They wanted to sneak them into their movie, but we also have to have something we can exploit and make money off of. So we kind of have to make it a slasher film at the same time. So we're just not going to resolve any of the questions we've really put out there and asked and and more modern stuff. And I will make a comparison um, that I think somewhat is apt. If you can go with a more modern um, Invisible Man movie that they just put out that Lee Winnell uh, wrote and directed, not to say it's the greatest thing ever, but it, I think it's a, like a, it's a good movie. I think they confront a lot of different issues, especially about uh, gaslighting and um, uh, mental and physical abuse in relationships. How, um, especially how sometimes men can be incredibly abusive in those relationships, and it really ponders those ideas. And it's not just about a guy being invisible. And you compare that to something like Visiting Hours. That's what Visiting Hours is trying to do. It's really trying to examine some of these things, but 
visiting hours if it was about an invisible Michael uh, Ironside. That's the entire that would what the entire plot of the movie would be about. And fuck the rest of the ideas. And that's kind of how I feel about visiting hours. We got to a point, but we just didn't know how to take it to the end. But again, times they's a changing. I mean, Lee Winnell's like what 40, 41. The guys who did visiting hours are all probably fucking dead and in their 80s. So, I mean, different types of people. I think that takes me back to the beginning of the movie where you get the introduction of Michael Ironside's character and he's all dressed up and he's got his ritualistic slaying uniform on. And in that sequence, also, he he rips it all off. He easily redresses so he can uh, get in and out of the situation. And you're given an idea that he's intelligent. You're given all of these very well-rounded characters, and none of them end up really going anywhere. And you get these gestures toward the Shatner character and the Ironside character of the two levels or two uh, two poles of misogyny here, you know. The white knight, like white knight syndrome, that Shatner thinks he's doing well. He thinks he's being helpful, but you're really not. And that entire thing, the white knight syndrome, just stepping in, being a good guy, which takes us back to, like, incels and things like that. People that get disgruntled and upset because their kind gestures weren't taken the right way. All of these ideas just are completely lost, and you got to get this, like proto slasher you know it's definitely canadian exploitation but you you get this very serious slasher vibe and you really think it's going to have some psychological resounding ending and it just kind of ends you know very short and to me like i'm i'm just it's not i love john carpenter i it's and this always is misconstrued and taken the wrong way i love john carpenter it's just that halloween doesn't do a great deal for me and neither does halloween too so when I put this on that same spectrum, I, I definitely enjoy Visiting Hours much more, and I think even the discourse we've had going into it is why. I don't think we could have had anything on this level with Halloween 2 outside of, you know, he definitely got blown up at the end. He's fucking dead. Like, that's the end of the series. He's dead. Yeah, well, see, that's where you and I will always differ on this, because I, the things I do enjoy about Halloween 2, I actually prefer it over Halloween 1, Crucify, fucking me. But, um... Well, the Halloween movies are really dry, but it does have interesting murders. It does have an interesting tone, um, like a John it's Carpenter created Carby. tone. By like, don't get me wrong. I mean, this is all John Carpenter, but I think it's more perfected John Carpenter, even though he didn't direct it. Well, I mean, um, even the Visiting Hours like music is definitely a knockoff of the Halloween theme. It's just a little different. It's a different synth. I mean, it's definitely in the vibe. I okay, and just being honest, I would say that this is one of the initial first knockoffs and movies made on the success of Halloween trying to use the same uh, chemicals and creation to make Halloween, not chemicals, but you know what I mean, the recipe to make Halloween. They tried to do the exact same thing. Maybe I just like the Canadians, I don't know. Well, I mean, like, Halloween 2 has, like, it has Mr. Sandman uh, music playing. It has, like, the chick getting burned and drowned in the hot tub. It just has kind of interesting murders, the syringe in the eye, those sorts of things. And I can go, I can get down with that. And Visiting Hours is, again, it's so much more psychological. And it's not about interesting, innovative murders. It's just about, hey, isn't it terrible somebody was murdered? And in reality, yeah, that can be terrifying, but your story... Whereas the concept is somewhat interesting, you just don't know what to do with it, and it ends off being a little bit bland overall. That's, I think, my biggest problem with Visiting Hours is just it's very TV movie-ish, like Canadian TV movie, but the fucking poster's really sweet. 
I can't say enough about the poster. The poster's the greatest thing about it. I used to like go into the video store and look at this box every time and just go, oh, thought it thought it was going to be something super badass. And eventually watch went, all right, okay, that's that felt like an episode of like Degrassi High on fucking 10, but whatever. The poster and the trailer. What I loved the most about the trailer is you get the visual of all the lights shutting off until it becomes the giant yeah. skull. So that was one of the most. I think drawing things when you saw this, especially back in the day, and you saw it as a preview on video cassette of like, damn, I, I gotta see this because this looks fucking sick. I mean, look at this big ass skull. So obviously, the inner goth metalhead punk in you gets drawn into something like that. But I don't know. I I feel really if there was a bit more continuity with the characters and with the entire message with trying to address a legitimate issue instead of masking it as a slasher uh, picture it definitely would have had a bit more success but again maybe it says something to the uh, statement of my taste I love John Carpenter but if we're going to talk about some of the best movies ever I'm not going to include Halloween but you know Assault on Precinct 13 definitely goes up there with me uh, Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> any, pretty much anything else and I have no issue with it yeah Let's, I mean, seriously, we could go through the list of, like, John Carpenter movies. Thing beats out Halloween wholeheartedly. Assault on Precinct 13. I would say The Fog. Here's a big um, one that might piss people off. Fucking Dark Star. Eh, maybe. Dark Star is a little bit more amateurish. I like the story more, but his shooting style I don't think there's hadn't been particularly perfected. Yet. And I think Halloween looks better, definitely, than Dark well, Star. Halloween looks better. I mean, that's one of the things with Halloween that I'm not trying to insult when I say I, it's not that I don't, you know, don't like it or I don't think it's an— It's beautiful to look at. I just think the movie's boring. It is. It's, it's not—it it takes all the stipulations and all the things from his giallo and, and these proto-slashers and the movements that were coming from Italy and New York and L.A. and the different movements with American film, uh, you know, guys like Francis Ford Coppola and uh, compounding on the scare factors of guys like William Castles. But for all intents and purposes, I just don't think it's an incredibly uh, provocative movie. But some of the things that make the movie, obviously, you know, I, I'll still give it five out of five if I had to fucking rate it. And that's pretty much for the use of goddamn Steadicam. I mean, you can shove the shining in my face all day long, but Halloween still brings something to the table and it, it looks mesmerizing. And it does, no matter how many times you know where the jump scenes are, it makes you jump. It has all the things that make a perfect movie in it. It's just not at the top of my list. I mean, I, I don't okay, want to say think of Halloween from a better. story perspective. And if you take it back to the original Halloween and not any of this retconned John Carpenter TV version of and all that shit, like literally just take the, to the core of what people actually like about it. Because people have complained for years about why would you have to tell me about Michael Myers and it's his sister and it's made it less interesting. It's more interesting if he was just a kid who killed and didn't. It's literally about a little kid who just randomly snaps and kills his sister and then comes back like 15 years later or whatever, 10 years later to kill like three or four more people and then goes to it like and then gets shot and disappears. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's like the deadly intruder. That movie sucks. Think about all the 80s horror films about a guy like even something like Splatter University is not a very interesting movie in itself, but like it's kind of the same plot. But at least they put him in like a priest collar and shit and kind of like up the character a little bit as opposed to just like prom night four is the fucking same goddamn story. And it's terrible. 
It's just not very interesting of a story. Well, uh, here, I guess, uh, it's funny. The last, like, three episodes, somehow toward the end of it, we've gone on and on about Halloween, so maybe we need to do a deep exploration into the entire series. But I'm just going to put a coffin nail in people disliking me, which is fine. I'm, I'm used to it. Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and, to an extent, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Not even to an extent, because that's definitely uh, an iconic knowledge of child's play. All of these things are kind of like Star Wars for and Star Trek, since this was a fucking William Shatner show, for horror fans. Because they have the toys, they have the, the cultural impact, they have all these things that they've grown up with, they love, they don't want it to change. Let's look at the Friday the 13th remake and the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Everyone was just mad. If it's not Robert England, it's... I don't care if it's not Kane Hodder, it just doesn't matter. It, it, all of these weird specifications are the exact same thing when people bitch and get mad about whatever happened in Star Wars not fitting the novel they read when they were 14 years old. And it's not a bad, bad thing. None of it's bad. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, you're allowed to have your fandoms, but I think a, my point here is a lot of the love and adoration that's given to Halloween is in excess of the love of just Michael Myers, the fandom, the, the mask, the toys, the t-shirt. And there's, again, absolutely nothing wrong with that. It just... You've gotten too obsessed with your fucking merch. That is what I think we're trying to say. You're looking at all of these things that are reasons you love the movie, but just trying to talk about the film, people get so up in arms and get really mad and, you know, call you names and get upset because you don't completely agree with it. And it just comes down to the fact that this guy killed somebody. He's in a hospital for years. And now he has a mask and he's killing some other people. And despite the deaths being ingenuitive and interesting to watch, there being jump factors and some uh, decent scary parts and a great tone at looking great, it doesn't have an incredible th amount to offer. You know, it's not like putting it as an argument against Suspiria. And it, I guess to some people saying Halloween is a bit boring would be like saying Suspiria is a bit boring, but it depends on your goddamn taste, too. It just has to come down to what your interests are when you're watching a horror or exploitation film. Well, inevitably, this show will always get down to remakes. We will discuss this subject ad nauseum, because that is what we do. Because this is part of what the horror community is, is you have to talk about fucking remakes all the time. With, like, the Suspiria remake, I don't like it as much as the original, because the original is, like, fucking crazy, and it's colorful, and it's beautiful, and it's pretty nutty. So I can get into that movie. And then you have the remake, which I thought was all right. I was somewhat entertained. I think they kind of missed the point in a lot of places, and it's a little maudlin and just kind of like overly fucking gray and just kind of too somber at times and a terrible Oblique. Radiohead soundtrack. Um, but I can appreciate that movie too. I thought it was a, it's an okay movie. It's no fucking original Suspiria, but at the same time, it's like, does that make Argent? Now everyone's going to forget Suspiria by Dario Argento because they've remade it. I feel the same thing. Like I can tell you in 2004, when Dawn of the Dead came out, I was, I was like, what the fuck is this? And you shit all over it. And I shit all over it because it's just like, what is this? What did you make? And then I watched it again when it came on video. And I went, okay. Like, I think overall the, like the, what works in the Dawn of the Dead remake is a lot of the, uh, the emotion in it, which is fucking bizarre coming out of my mouth, talking about a Zack Snyder movie that way. But I don't think it's Zack Snyder I, who did that. I think it was more of James Gunn. Yeah, it's Gunn. definitely James and Gunn. And it's more about just kind of the the weird kind of 
overly humorous but yet super dark tone and not so much black comedy but it's it is kind of like oh this is kind of really sad and i think some of that is how Zack Snyder shot it. I think he did a really good job with that. I think it's his best film, and I think he's just made kind of garbage since then. But that's beside the fact. I can appreciate both. Right now, I have a copy of both. So who cares? But you've got some other remakes, too, that you can bring up in the same breath, like Last House on the Left. It's not a... Fuck that. I'll never watch it again. It yeah, sucks. There's not a matter of comparability here or talking about effort or changing the story. And it always baffles me when that comes up with people's, you know, like I, I thought it was a great remake. It, it's not only missed the point, but it was just absolute. It was beyond eye candy. It was just a long, shitty music video just waiting to play that fucking song from Ghost Ship at the end of it. Uh, the Death in Vegas song, Dirge. That's the entire point of that movie. It was almost dishonorable as a remake. I will say this about it, though. Okay, they made a Last House on the Left remake, missed the point of it. Uh, some of the performances were okay. I, I just, yeah, I think they kind of missed the point overall with it. But when somebody says, I really like Last House on the Left, I think the remake's better, I'm going to say, well, you're fucking crazy. It's not because it's kind of stupid. But if you like it, whatever. I don't care that they made it. But we don't have a point anymore of horror purists stomping around angry over the thing. You know, you don't hear anyone going, well, 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 the thing from the other world is a far superior movie. John Carpenter. Talk to somebody in their 70s. They still will. I, I've had a conversation in the last few months that was just like, well, the thing from another world, though, that was so much better than the John Carpenter one because you saw it when you were like, you know, 12 years old and it stuck with you. I got it, dude. I, I saw the John Carpenter one on like CBS on, on a Saturday at like midnight. I gotcha. Well, that's where I'm coming from with it is that. These people aren't sitting on their keyboards arguing and yelling over whatever uh, is is happening. You know, I can't believe this is going on. And, like, the Universal Monsters are all being redone now. I don't remember who got the Wolfman. I think it was Ryan Gosling. But yep. I, I get it. I get being a purist. And it's baffling to me, though, that guys in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, going into even your 70s, to sit and complain and be mad. I can't believe they're going to remake the Wolfman. Well, they have, like... I got nine times. Dude, you think they'll hire Reffin? Oh, like it could be like all pretty and blue and purple. And then at the end, we find out that Ryan uh, Gosling was never a wolf man. Everyone else around him was a wolf man, though. It's like wolfception. <laughs> but you, you get this weird sense of, and I guess it's just gatekeeping, where it's like, I can't believe they're going to do that, but where's the point? What is it harming you? And I understand that there are things that you love and you take deep to heart, just like people that get offended over things. Uh, you know, just, uh, we used Halloween as a whipping boy, so I'll use something else. A couple days ago on Facebook, a friend made a, a post and a comment about a purported Hellraiser TV show and how... It's the worst thing that could ever happen My to the idea. series. It's, this is this is awful. How could they do that? Have you seen the series? Have you seen any of the movies past part three? And that's what I commented, and they instantly got pissed at me because I insulted and I shit on something that they held sacred and dear. And you've got to take into credit that there are people out there that think Hellraiser Debtor was a great movie. There are people that really, really enjoyed that movie, no matter how laughable and poorly made I think it is, and how it has absolutely nothing to do with anything related to Clive Barker from a sparse appearance with Doug Bradley. But people absolutely love it, and that's, I guess, even where there's trouble putting your opinion out anywhere. As a critic, as somebody that does anything, 
it doesn't matter if you're a film critic or you're doing a show about what you like uh, via basketball players or their performances. There's always going to be some issue because somebody else has, well, no, you're wrong. I have this opinion. I've seen this. I feel this way. And it's great. It's fine. You know what would be a terrible thing, though? If more people saw horror movies and they made more of them. Oh, that would be terrible if they just be like there were more horror fans out there. Uh, nobody wants to take into consideration that you know you you love something, but somebody else might see it a bit differently than you. So it doesn't take away from how legendary Halloween is. It doesn't take away from how legendary Hellraiser is. But really, what's the problem with continuing the legacy? I know it's not fitting what you thought Michael Myers was or where you wanted the series to go to, but you know Doug Bradley's getting a little old. Uh, what's wrong with allowing a new generation of people to find Hellraiser? What if this TV show did well and other people went into Clive Barker's art and his literature with a new mindset and found something that was great? What if people that didn't like horror went into the new Halloweens and found the pro-feminist message and it was something that spawned them to watch more horror like where's the issue with that i mean it's just continuing the cycle of getting people into the genre isn't that what you want people to support and be a part of it shatner facts absolutely 100 percent true facts about william shatner In July 2011, McGill University awarded Shatner an honorary doctorate of letters. Shatner was also awarded an honorary doctorate of letters from New England Institute of Technology in May 2018. In June 2018, Shatner announced a robotic line of himself engineered by Elon Musk that would hopefully serve as the future police force of the United States. In July of 2018, after several tragic deaths, the robotic Shatner police force was abolished. Shatner Facts were brought to you by Death by TBD and the People's Liberation Shatner Army. Truth and facts may vary. And besides, I wrote Hellraiser the TV show for the last, like, six years every night when I went to sleep. I'm not shitting you. It would help me go to sleep to kind of like, what would it be like if we like you turned Hellraiser into a TV series? And like, you could literally turn that first movie into the first season of the TV series very easily. I can, I've got the entire thing in my head. Imagine for Christ's sakes, I got the first scene, the first episode. What is the first scene? The first episode, a big dick. Close. That's coming. But uh, no, it's just like it would be like uh, you'd have Frank. You don't know who he is. You'd introduce him. He's sitting around in like India or some bullshit. And he's like, like watching dudes get on the hooks, getting the suspension shit, you know, and like going into a different fucking philosophical realm and all that shit and testing pain limits. And then he does it himself. And boom, you have the opening credit sequence come up because that's what he's been doing. And then the entire first episode is about Frank fucking doing a bunch of crazy shit trying to get his rocks off until he eventually end of episode one finds a box done there's episode one showrunner right here all right hire ladies me. and gentlemen send all your money to us and we can get I alexander nash to get this off the ground uh, it sounds like a good idea but i think the whole entire point uh to my rant and adding on to yours is it just seems baffling 
uh, people's unacceptance. You can't critique things, but you also can't add on to things, and you can't change things. So what can you do? We just rerun Halloween over and over and over and over and over again and just jerk off to Hellraiser Hellworld as long as we possibly can and never allow anyone else to take over or do something different and allow growth in the community or... Did you ever watch the uh, the Halloween sequel remake, whatever the fuck it is? It's it's Halloween again. I know that it's Halloween no. 2018, the, but it's just the title is the Halloween. The Danny McBride film. I've not seen it. Let me tell you about that movie. Wow, is it just another Halloween movie? What more can you do? <laughs> it's like, all right, you made another one, and it's Michael Myers is old now, and he's fighting Jamie Curtis again, and she's old in it, and it's the same shit. That's truly my question, though. What more can you do? Unless you rewrite and change things and do what Rob Zombie did, which I guess is the biggest faux pas in the world to bring up, you can't do anything different. What we learned with Rob Zombie is people are just going to be pissed off over it no matter what. And when those movies came out, you know, obviously we I, I was younger and it was a different, more edgy appearance to things. But as time has come on, they're not bad films, especially the sequel. Halloween 2's it's one of the better Rob Zombie movies. It's entertaining. It's the most entertaining out of the Michael Myers films Well, for I mean, me. you look at Rob Zombie's films in general, the Halloween ones are some of the sharpest he did, and he didn't even change it that much. Okay, he's a little white trash kid, and he's a sociopath. So he Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer to the character and added a little mythology to it, but for all intents and purposes, there's not any major differences between those films. I mean, it's his own story and his own version, but what you've got is a guy in a mask trying to kill his sister. They've kept the exact same principles, and it's at least it's at least something different. I mean, sure, I don't like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, but I own it. It's something that I still will view and will appreciate because it's a different it's a different point. It's a different uh, tenure, I guess, to the film. And uh, what would you have wanted? I mean, let's look at the Omen remake. It was the exact same thing, and people still complained. I mean, what the fuck do you want? Just to remake Hooper's film scene by scene? They did that with Cabin Fever, and guess what? Cabin Fever's still fucking better. What do you want? Yeah, like, I just, I don't know. I'm kind of just weirded out by all the other uh, remakes at this point, because it's just like, sure, make it again. Like I was saying, that, that Halloween uh, remake sequel that they've done recently, and they're making a sequel to that. I didn't hate it. I didn't go... Man, I can't believe they did this. I didn't find it in like unwatchable or boring, but I also wasn't like, wow, they've gotten back to what made Halloween great. It's just like, no, you've literally made another Halloween movie and it wasn't as like dumb and boring as part five, and it wasn't as poorly written as part six, and it was but and definitely wasn't Halloween Resurrection, which was just gimmicks and stupidity. But at the same time, I watched it and like, wow, you made a adequate movie about a guy in a fucking old mask killing people, and it had one really good shot in it. Sweet. But that's as far as like, I don't know how are you watching this like more than I've seen it twice because I had to watch it with somebody, and I'll probably never watch it again. It means nothing to me. It's just like, all right, sure, more Halloween. It's been going on for over forty years, guys. How many more times are we gonna tell the story of some guy? Who went ape shit and started stabby stabby on one on a Halloween night? Well, maybe it's a cult. Well, maybe who? It's I don't care. You know what would make it? I would really like if they flipped it and he was like, he maybe wasn't in a cult. Maybe he was a thing. 
and he takes the mask off and it's just like one big fucking bleeding eyeball or something. Oh my God, John Carpenter's Halloween thing. It's going to be great. The whole entire time it's just been Wilfred Brimley. I'll kill you. And that wraps it up and brings us back to William Shatner because all of this and more had absolutely everything to do with William Shatner. When the shat hits the fan, I guess that's what just happened. The William Shatner special, three wonderful movies from the 1970s, all featuring our favorite man from Montreal. The Devil's Reign, Kingdom of the Spiders, and I forgot the last movie. It doesn't matter. <laughs> visiting oh, Hours, yeah, visiting uh, hours. Devil's Reign, yeah. Kingdom of the Spiders. One. Visiting Hours. So it was a show. I think everything's disorganized right now. I think the whole world is disorganized, but... The most important thing is that when you lay down tonight and you close your eyes, just remember, Shatner cares. He does. The ashtray is full and the bottle's empty. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Yeah, she's up.